Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The first Sunday of Epiphany kicks off with the baptism of our Lord. And we hear that voice from heaven declare, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now in Matthew and Mark, the account goes immediately from the baptism of our Lord to the temptation of our Lord. But in Luke, it's a little different. Luke has a little insertion between those two accounts that I think is kind of interesting and we would easily overlook if we weren't paying attention. He throws right in between those two accounts the genealogy of Jesus. (laughs) Just the kind of thing we are apt to skip over, isn't it? But it's interesting that he puts it there because it is inserted intentionally to remind us exactly who Jesus is. In Luke chapters 1 and 2, we already hear that he is the Son of God. We hear from the angel Gabriel. We hear uh, from the angels on Christmas. Uh, But now, as Jesus is going to go out and be tempted in the wilderness, as he's about to begin his ministry, we're going to have this reminder just who this Jesus is. Uh, The genealogy of Jesus begins like this. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, son of Joseph, the son of Heli. And then all the way down to the very end of it, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. I love this insertion because Luke is reminding us who this Jesus is. He is, as the Nicene Creed nicely summarizes, the Son of God, begotten from eternity, also true man, born of the Virgin Mary. In tracing things all the way back to Adam, we are reminded of the fall into sin, but we're also reminded God had promised one who was going to make things right again. Genesis 3.15 After Adam and Eve have fallen into sin, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus, as the Son of God, begotten from eternity, becomes incarnate, as we heard in Luke chapters 1 and 2. He was born of as the offspring of Eve, according to the flesh, he is that one spoken of in Genesis 3.15 who was just ready to give Satan a good thumping on the head. And that's what he does here with the temptation in the wilderness. Make no mistake, first and foremost, this account of Jesus is not teaching us, here's how you are to do battle against the devil. First and foremost, it's saying, Here's what Jesus already did on your behalf. He went to battle against the devil in your place, and he won every single round. He gave Satan a good, solid thumping to the point that Satan, at the end of it, just kind of goes away because he knows he's lost, and he's looking for another opportunity later on. Now, as we follow Jesus the way of the cross, we will which we will especially do on Wednesday nights. You know, we're going to hear the, the passion reading as, as we hear what Jesus goes through on our behalf. We remember Jesus willingly submitted himself to such shame and pain, such torture and taunting because he was doing so 
taking the shame and pain, the torture and taunting that we deserved. And through the perfect obedience of Jesus, through his resurrection, by baptism into Christ, we have victory over the devil. So we don't have to go facing Satan and say, I have to figure out a way to defeat him. What we do is we say, well, Jesus already did it. I can rest in that. This is really important for us as we face spiritual attacks. And you will face spiritual attacks. It's important to remember this. The victory's already won. You don't have to defeat the devil because Jesus already did. When facing attacks, we need to remind ourselves that the devil, his day is done. His defeat has already occurred. And in Jesus, we have the victory. Now, from the temptation that Jesus goes through, though, we can, we can see exactly the game plan that Satan uses to bring temptation to us, too. It's interesting because the very first temptation that we see here in uh, Luke chapter 4, it's very similar to what we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Remember how, God, uh, how, uh, how the devil tempted Adam and Eve? What was the question? Did God really say? Did God really say? Now, this is what Satan's going to use with Jesus to tempt him as well. Did God really say you are his son? You can't actually believe that now, can you? If you're his son, why is it you've been out here in the wilderness for 40 days and you don't have anything to eat? If you lack the very basic necessities of life, how can you possibly believe that you are the son of God? Satan mocks Jesus in this way. You don't really trust that voice, do you? Look around you. There's no evidence you're loved by God. There's no evidence that you are his son. This is the same way Satan attacks us, isn't it? Satan says, you don't really believe you're a child of God because you're baptized, do you? Baptism's nothing but getting wet. You actually believe he made you his child? Look around you. You're struggling in all of these different ways, and there's all of these other people who are wildly successful, and there's no way. You know they're not walking with the Lord, so you believe you're, you're a child of God, really? This is the kind of temptation Israel succumbed to again and again in the time of wilderness. God doesn't love us. Moses brought us out here to starve in the wilderness. We're going to die of thirst. We don't have any food. We don't have any water. And they don't pray. They don't go to the Lord trusting that God's going to supply their need. They just complain. They doubt. They disbelieve. But how does Jesus answer? When Satan brings this kind of temptation to Jesus, what does he say? It is written. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy, you know, that book that you guys all so love, right? You, you practically have it memorized. Uh, it's one of those that we tend to want to skip over when we're doing our Bible readings, right? But it's so good to see Jesus go right back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, and what's interesting here is, is he quotes just a portion of it. But I want to give you the whole verse because Jesus already knows the context of the whole verse, but we don't always remember this. 
Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you do not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, there's a little more context, right? Jesus says, saying, uh, I know how the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, and I know how the God supplied their need, and I know that even though I have been in the wilderness 40 days and I haven't had anything to eat, I don't have to worry about it. God's got this. He shows perfect faith. Jesus was saying, natural means, supernatural means, God's going to provide what I need. I'm not worried about it. When God has spoken, I can live confidently knowing that's how it is. This is a great reminder for us, isn't it? God spoke at your baptism. He said, I am claiming you. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God said, you're mine. You belong to me. You're part of my people. You're my child. So we can go back to those verses in Scripture that tell us about baptism, and we can say, it is written. Right? Go back to all of those verses of of Scripture that tell us about baptism and say, it is written. These things are true for me. I, I don't care what Satan says. This is what God says. Now, the devil, seeing he has failed in this one, tries a new tactic. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and all their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now this is a sly tactic. Satan is tempting Jesus to take a shortcut You don't really want to have to go through all the trouble of doing things the way God has laid it out, do you? I've got a far easier way for you to do this. You just have to cooperate with me. Now, Jesus knew suffering awaited him. Doing things God's way was going to be hard. It was going to be painful. And here Satan is saying, hey, I've got an easy alternative for you. But who would ever want to make a deal with the devil, right? (laughs) Man, it's so easy for us to do it. It's so easy for us to make a deal with the devil without even realizing we've done it. Set aside time for prayer. You know, I've got more important things to do. I don't really have time for that. Be in church every Sunday? What do you, how, about, how about we make a deal? I'll be there sometimes during the year. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, love your enemies. Well, yeah. How about if we make a deal to mildly tolerate them from time to time? That'd be okay. Yeah. So instead of living by the word of God, we, try to, we start to say, well, is there a shortcut? Is there a way around this? And with every compromise of what we know to be true, we're bowing down in worship to the devil. Jesus, however, refuses to do so. And Jesus answered him, It is written. You shall not 
you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Hey, what's he quote from again? Deuteronomy. (laughs) Again, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, and Jesus shows us that when the devil attacks and seeks to cause us to doubt or disbelieve or disobey God, we can go back to the sure and certain word of God, and we can say, you know what? Satan, you've got nothing to offer me. I already have everything I need in Jesus. Why would I possibly partner with you? Finally, the last tactic we see from Satan begins in verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of to, to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, this is the last tactic that we see from Satan here, and the, 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 the attack is twofold. First, he tempts Jesus to believe that if he really is the Son of God, it'd be really easy for him to just prove it by jumping off of this high point. And you'd be forcing God's hand, see? God the Father would have to send the angels to come and help you. The second thing the devil does here is he actually quotes scripture. That's a little scary, right? This is a good reminder for us. Just because somebody quotes scripture, it doesn't doesn't mean you should believe them. This is a cunning attack. It attacks our faith, and Satan does this by using Scripture. Now, it would have been far easier. This is the temptation that, that Satan brings. He says, you know, it would be far easier if you just you do, do this big miraculous show, and everybody would see it happen, and then they would put their faith in you. You don't have to go through all of that suffering and all of that. Just, just, just do this. And look, look, God has to rescue you from this. But of course, it's not true. Even after the resurrection, there were people who doubted Jesus. Even after he raised Lazarus from the dead, there were many who doubted Jesus. After miracle, after miracle, after miracle, after miracle, there were still people who doubted Jesus. So this great grand sign wasn't going to achieve what Satan said it was going to achieve. There would still be those who doubted. The other problem, though, is this. God never said to do this. (laughs) He never said... Do this great act of stupidity, and I'll save you, and everyone will believe in me. So going up and throwing yourself down would not be in accord with God's will. See what Satan does here? Is he, he quotes scripture, but he leaves out parts of it. And then he also rips it way out of context and says, now, now here's, here's, here's a verse for you. So really, the the first one he quotes, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. It should continue in all of your ways. (laughs) Because it's not just a blanket statement of do whatever you want to do and God has to rescue you. But as you're doing what God has given you to do, he's going to take care of you. God never commanded this. To do this would not be an act of faith in God. It would be testing God, tempting God. God, if you're really there, you're going to do what I want, is the, uh, the kind of the approach 
that Satan wants Jesus to take. And that's not faith, that's manipulation. Speaking of manipulation, that's what the devil does with scripture. He manipulates it, doesn't he? But Jesus, again, overcomes Satan. And Jesus answered. This time, what does he say? It is said. I love this because you have it is written, it is written, but now you have also it is said because the word of God is active and not just a past tense thing, but a present reality for us as well. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Huh, wonder where he's quoting from. Deuteronomy, one more time. I love how C.F.W. Walther summarizes the account. How does Christ do battle? How is he victorious? Satan tempts him to unbelief, and he answered, it is written. Satan tempted him to false doctrine, and he answered, it is written. Satan tempted him to pride, and he answered, it is written. It is written, it is written, it is written, it is said. The living, active word of God. What God promises, what God says, that's what you can hold on to and know is sure and certain. Now, one of the things sometimes people want to do with this text is they want to turn it into like a a fencing duel with Satan, right? He has his attack, and now you know exactly how to respond. That's not really what it's about here, right? I don't advise you trying to battle Satan on your own. You're going to lose. He's got a lot more experience than you do. But rather, it is, we go back to what has God said? What has God done? We go back to Jesus. When we are facing that temptation, we don't do battle against the devil. We go to the one who already defeated him, right? Jesus already knows all of the traps, all of the tricks, and Jesus has overcome them all. So we go back to, it is written, it is written, it is written, not as, well, if I can just have exactly the right verse to say, but rather, I know the promises of God that are mine in Christ. I know what God has done for me. I know what he has said. I know it's true. And so whatever Satan has to say to me, well, I know it's a lie. Because God has said this. You go back to your baptism and you say, well, he claimed me. I know this for a fact. You come to the Lord's table and what does he say you're going to receive? This is my body. This is my blood for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Satan says that can't possibly be. And you say, it is written. And when God has declared that this is how it is, well, then that's how it is and how it will be. So when Satan tempts us, what do we do? We go right back to Jesus. We go right back to the promises that are ours in Christ, and we let him take care of the battle for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.